Father, as we look at your word this morning, would you compel us towards yourself in the truth? Would you uh, challenge us, get a hold of us, Lord, in ways that we simply need so that we can see more clearly, so that we can make changes in life that we need to, so that we can honor you as we ought. In Jesus' name, amen. On a lighter note, uh, G.K. Chesterton's a British author, lived uh, about 100 years ago, we'll just say for round numbers, very well known in his day. Uh, he cut a wide swath in, in literary circles, in religious circles. Uh, he wrote a lot. Uh, he was a critic, very well known in his day. He cut a broad swath or a wide swath also physically. He was a big guy. He was about 6'4". That's my height. Weighed almost 300 pounds. That's a lot more than I can claim, Glad, gladly so. Uh, his... His niche, his key ability was sort of speaking uh, concisely, succinctly to the heart or the truth of a matter. He had a really quick wit, a funny guy, and great sayings. If you go online, you can do Chesterton quotes, and you'll come up with with dozens or hundreds. Uh, In his day, uh, thinking of his size, he was uh, sitting apparently at a meal with uh, George Bernard Shaw, who was also a pretty quick wit. a great writer in his day, but unlike Chesterton, he was a very small, slight guy. And so Chesterton looks at him and says, uh, Mr. Shaw, you know, to look at you, anyone would think that there was a famine in England. And so Shaw, his equal in wit, says, well, sir, to look at you, anyone would think you'd caused it. (laughs) Big guy, funny wit. Listen to some of these Chesterton Gems. I just picked a few. You'll find lots more probably, maybe that you like better. But speaking succinctly to the heart of a matter, he said these things. He said, the true soldier fights not because he hates what is in front of him, but because he loves what is behind him. The Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because generally they are the same people. He said this of feminism, and I find this striking. This is 100-plus years ago. I'm not sure what he would say today, but he said of feminism this. uh, Feminism is mixed up with a muddled idea that women are free when they serve their employers, but slaves when they help their husbands. And Chesterton had a very loving relationship with his wife also. He responded to a newspaper article this way. Uh, Dear sir, regarding your article, What's Wrong with the World? I am. Yours very truly, G.K. Chesterton. I mean, that's it, right? Any of us could have written the same letter. What's wrong? Yeah, that's me. Another one of his quotes goes like this, and this speaks to the theme of this morning. Chesterton said, The man who stands for nothing will fall for anything. The man who stands for nothing, who hasn't staked out a position on life in the big things, in the big ways, will fall for anything. The man who stands for nothing will fall for anything. <clears throat> you know, I think most of us would say of ourselves or think, or think of ourselves that we have a pretty good handle on the truth, uh, that we can spot a cheat or a lie, you know, that we have... Uh, discernment and powers of observation. And, and I hope in this group that we do. I hope that's true of us. But I also suspect that we are open to deception 
in ways that we might not be aware of, and especially in this regard. In the areas of our life in which we have not brought our obedience under the truth God has presented to us, we are open to deception and lies in ways we're probably not aware of. When I'm talking about truth this morning, I'm not talking about arithmetic or geography facts. I'm talking about truth with a capital T, ultimate reality, morality, ethics, things that ultimately matter, truth with a capital T. And in truth with a capital T subjects, if we don't obey the truth we're presented, we lose the ability to see and discern truth. As you'll see, we'll develop this thought a little bit this morning. So in the areas in which we are not obedient to the truth we've been presented, we are far more open to deception and lies than we might think. Truth requires something of us. And when we're presented with truth, it tests us. It proves us. The truth observed but not embraced and acted on leaves us over time dull. It leaves us standing for nothing and susceptible to fall for anything. When the Apostle Paul was writing his friends at the church in Thessalonica, he brings up this truth, this element about truth. And he brings it up in the context of a future time, maybe not far in the future for us. But if you remember, we've talked about in the context of the day of the Lord and the man Paul called the man of lawlessness, we typically call the Antichrist. He said, relative to that time and that person, it would be the lack of laying hold of the truth and acting on it that would leave people open to deception and lies. And that because mankind will willingly see the truth but continually refuse it, God says he will ratify man's choice in rejecting the truth such that man can no longer recognize the truth, has stood for nothing, and will now fall for the lies and the deceptions presented through the man of lawlessness and his false prophet. So we are back in 2 Thessalonians this morning. We're in chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. We've talked a little bit about the day of the Lord and the man of lawlessness specifically, but we want to focus this morning on why will mankind, why will people in the future, again, maybe just around the corner, why will they be so ready and so open to embrace the man of lawlessness? And it's about truth, the rejection of truth, and it's about God's sovereign ratification of man's denial of truth. You'll see both of those elements in the text this morning. So 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 12, this is from the Holman translation. Paul continuing there says, The coming of the lawless one is based on Satan's working with all kinds of false miracles, signs, and wonders, and with every unrighteous deception among those who are perishing. They perish because they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but enjoyed unrighteousness. Real briefly on your study sheet there under point one, 
This is verses 9 and the front end of verse 10. We talked about this last week. But when this man of lawlessness comes on the scene, he is going to have credentials, Paul says, in the way of pseudo or false signs and wonders. And they're going to be startling. They're not going to be uh, card tricks. They're going to be startling and they're going to be convincing. And we saw last time in Revelation 13, a few of these are listed. This man of lawlessness will have an apparent resurrection. Fire will be called down from heaven. Uh, The breath will be given to the image. This guy, you remember, is going to stand in the temple and call himself God. And somehow, this isn't spelled out, I don't know what this is going to look like, but breath will be given to his image. It will appear miraculous. All of this just to say that when this guy comes on the scenes, there is real deception and it's going to appear very convincing. So that everything else aside, you'd say, well, no wonder they believed because this looks really convincing, really impressive. So there is that element that's at work, but that's not the key reason, God says, men in the future will willingly submit to this man of lawlessness. That's point two, and that's where we'll hang our hat on your study sheet. If you look at the second half of verse 10 there, Paul continues and says, they perish because they did not accept the love of the truth in order to be saved. Rather than accept love and receive the gospel, and that's primarily what Paul's talking about here, the gospel message that people will have heard, Rather than hear, acknowledge, embrace, and act on the gospel, men will have heard it and rejected it and said, no thanks, that's not a truth I'm interested in. And it's into that setting that Paul says, having rejected the truth, they didn't love the truth and they didn't want it, that group of people is going to perish. They're going to believe the lie and the man of lawlessness. Having refused to stand with the truth in Christ, they'll be ready to fall to the Antichrist. Now, for us generally, for anyone generally, uh, the truth again tests us, it proves us. If you think of the parable Jesus told in Luke 8 about the sower and the seed, you know, the picture there of the parable is a farmer goes out and he throws seed down on the ground. And he's not like a modern farmer because it's not nice, neat rows and the rocks aren't removed from the soil. It's just ground as it is. And so the farmer goes out and he throws that seed down. The seed is all the same. And on some of that ground, it grows up. Some it's taken away. Some it comes up briefly and then is gone. And on some ground, it takes root and grows. And Jesus says the parable means Jesus is the farmer. The Son of Man is the farmer. He's throwing the seed out, which is truth. And the soils represent the hearts of men. And so for some people, we have hard, rocky hearts. The soil of our hearts is hard and rocky. And the truth of God's word is scattered on top. It never penetrates. It never germinates. It goes nowhere and Satan takes it away. We hear it in a moment and that's it. And for others of us, we're shallow. We hear it and we say, wow, that sounds great. I'll take that. And that seed germinates briefly at least and it starts to grow up and then it fades shortly. 
Or the soil that's filled with, with weeds and with thorns and the seed germinates again, starts to come up, and yet there's no life because it's choked out by all these other things. And last, that good soil germinates the seed. It grows up and it produces a harvest. Well, Jesus says that, that represents our hearts. So the seed, the truth, proves the quality of the heart. And when you and I hear truth anytime, truth with a capital T, whether it's for us the gospel on the front end of a journey of faith, or it's as, as we read our Bible, we've come to Christ, we're saved, and we're reading our Bibles daily, and we're confronted with a truth claim in the Scriptures, what do we do with that? You see, because this isn't static. When I see the truth, it requires something of me, a response. And if my response is not to stand with the truth, my ability to discern truth over time is dulled. My conscience is dulled. It produces, Paul says here in a minute in another text, a callousness to my heart, to my ability to hear and perceive and discern truth. And we need to be aware, if we've heard the gospel repeatedly and not responded, our ability to respond to the gospel may grow harder and harder over time. But also for us as Christians, if God's been speaking to us about something and revealing truth to our hearts, and we've been putting it on the back burner and saying, it may be another day, Lord, I'm not interested now, those areas of our life, we remain open to deception and lies, whether it's from our own heart or if it's what someone else is peddling or selling because we've not embraced the truth and acted on it. So the truth always proves us. It's a test for us. God's Word, either in the gospel or simply in what we're reading day to day. To love the truth, if we say, yeah, I'm all about the truth, I'm willing to stand with the truth. To love the truth inherently and finally is to love the person of Jesus Christ who says, I am ultimately truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. If we say we love the truth, but we ignore Christ, we're lying. If we say we love the truth, but we don't acknowledge and embrace Christ's salvation, we're lying to ourselves. You cannot love truth and hate or reject Christ. It's impossible. He is truth. So the truth tests us and it proves us and it tries us. Sir Robert Anderson said this, uh, this is before Chesterton, this is probably from the late 1800s. He was referring to Galatians 1 verse 8. He said, how different from the spirit of the age is the language of the inspired apostle. He quotes Galatians 1.8. Though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Quoting Paul, someone preaches another gospel, and that's exactly what people will get in the future, another gospel. Let him be accursed. Such warnings in Holy Writ are not the words of wild exaggeration. The man who would force his opinions on others is a boor. He who would die for his opinions, opinions, is a fool. But Christianity has not to do with opinions. It is founded on fact and divine truth. And faith, faith based thereon is the heritage of the church. We can have no toleration for the veiled skepticism which is passing for Christianity today. 
We do not think this or that. We know. See, if I love the truth, if I'm willing to acknowledge the truth and act on it, it's not opinions. Anderson says, it's fact. We don't think, we know. Now, if you've got your Bibles, Ephesians 4 is a passage we'll walk through somewhat quickly, but this makes the point. Paul's writing to his friends there in Ephesus, and this is really a bright group of people. The, the, The letter to the Ephesians is a really high theological treatise by Paul, and Ephesus is commended in Revelation in the letters to the churches for all that they know, and they test false teachers and false prophets. And writing to that group, Paul says in Ephesians 4, starting at verse 17, he says, don't walk or don't live like the Gentiles around you live in the futility of their thoughts. They have vain thoughts. They're not connected to reality. They don't stand with the truth. They are darkened in their understanding. There's no light. There's no revelation. They are excluded from the life of God. There's no divine life. There's been no regeneration because, darkened and excluded, because of ignorance. You know, if you say someone's ignorant, they just don't know, you'd say, well, gosh, tell them, right? They're ignorant, just tell them. But Paul says they're ignorant because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous. And this is the danger for us when we hear truth and we don't embrace it and act on it. We hear it once, maybe we think about it, but we resist it. We rub up against the truth, we don't accept it, and just like a callus on your hand, you rub up against something, it gets a little hard, it gets a little calloused. And then we rub up the truth again, and it's a little more callous. And you know, the callus on your hand, it's dead skin, and it grows in thickness. And so you don't have the feeling there that you used to have. Well, Paul says that's exactly the process that happens to our hearts And it affects our ability to spiritually apprise things and to discern and recognize truth. And the more often I rub against the truth and say no thanks, Paul says like the Gentiles here, I develop a calloused, hardened heart. And it's not sensitive to right and wrong and ultimate reality and truth. And I can't discern the way I think I can. And so folks in the future, guys, they're going to think they're sharp and discerning. They're not going to think the man of lawlessness is a scam. They're going to think in their wisdom he's the real deal because they've become calloused to what's true. Because they've heard the gospel, they said, I don't want it. I'm not standing with that proclamation of truth. And so they're ignorant because of darkened hearts that have become calloused over time. Now, we're talking here primarily about the gospel, but this same thing can happen to you and me, Christians, in areas of our life in which we've heard the truth and we don't act on it. We grow calloused in that area. We deceive ourselves, and we're open to deception from others as well. Truth that's not embraced and acted on, we tend to lose, and we tend to lose the ability to discern in those areas. So, People in the past, in the generations from us back, 
They have not perished for lack of a Savior or lack of information about a Savior. And people in the future will not perish for lack of a Savior or lack of the information, the availability of truth. They will perish because the truth was rejected. There was no place for it. They didn't love the truth. They weren't willing to embrace the truth and act on it. They said, no thanks. And so they fell to the deceptions of their own hearts in the past, and they will again in the future, and to the deceptions of the man of lawlessness. Having refused to stand with the truth, they'll fall for the deception and the lies yet to come. Now, that's bad. If that's all there was, that'd be bad enough. But there's more. So if you look in 2 Thessalonians 2 again at verses 11 and 12, Paul there says, for this reason, for what reason? These people rejected the truth. It's not that they didn't hear it. They heard it. The truth was heard and it was rejected. For this reason, God sends them a strong delusion so that they will believe what is false, so that all will be condemned, those who did not believe the truth but enjoyed unrighteousness. Does this sound counterintuitive? God says... I am going to give this generation strong delusion so they will believe lies, so they will be condemned. I thought God was all about saving the world and loving the world. What is going on? Strong delusion. That term, that phrase strong delusion means an energy towards deception. It's as if God pushes them in the direction of their own choosing that these people will have said no, no, no to the truth. And God will then say, you want lies, you'll get lies. You've refused the truth, you won't have any part to do with the truth. It's as if I'm pulling a wagon along here in Topeka, let's say, and I get to Burnett's Mound. I've been pulling my wagon along, going my own way, and I hit the hill and I go downhill fast in the same direction I was headed, but a whole lot faster. God is pushing this generation, down the hill towards the end which they have already chosen. We didn't love the truth. We didn't want the truth. And God says, okay, well, now you don't get the truth. And I am going to help you plummet more quickly to your chosen end, whether you knew that was your end or not. Now, if you go to Exodus, Exodus 3 and 4, I'll just pick a couple of verses out of this. You see this in a biblical example there in the story of the Exodus. This is not God cutting people off from the opportunity for salvation. This is God confirming the willful choices of people who have already heard the truth and have said no. And one of the key examples of this is in the Old Testament in the story of the Exodus. So in Exodus 3, 19, God speaks to his man Moses. And he says, Mo, you're my man. You're my deliverer. I'm sending you back to Egypt. And you're going to lead my people out of bondage and slavery into the land of promise. He says there, however, I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go unless he's forced by a strong hand. So I'll stretch out my hand. I'll strike Egypt with all my miracles that I will perform in it. After that, he will let you go. I'm going to send you down. He's not going to want to let you go. I'm going to perform all these miracles against the gods of Egypt. You get down to Exodus 4, verse 21, and God continues and he says, 
When you go back to Egypt, make sure you do all the wonders before Pharaoh that I've put within your power, but I will harden his heart so that he won't let the people go. Now, Lord, what is the deal? If you read through this narrative, you'll see this. Six times Pharaoh is stated to have or to harden his own heart. Six times. Before chapter 9, verse 12, when God says, he hardens Pharaoh's heart. God is not coming up to Pharaoh, a guy who says, I want to embrace truth. I want to embrace Yahweh. God is coming up to a man who has six times refused God's claims, said no way, no how. And God says at this point, you're not going to be able to change your mind. I am ratifying your decision. I am confirming you in the decision you have already made. And then it says, God says, I will harden, I have hardened Pharaoh's heart. God ratified Pharaoh's decision to harden his heart, essentially saying, you have refused to listen and obey, I will not allow you to now. So that's an Old Testament example. That's the same thing I think God's going to do in the future. It's not that God is not allowing salvation to people who want to be saved. He's saying to people who have refused the truth, who have refused the love of the truth, You've said no, 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 and now that's all you're going to get. And I'm going to accelerate your descent to the final point at which your decisions take you, which is judgment. We've already looked at this in chapter 1. He's going to accelerate their path to judgment. If you're someone who has heard the gospel and heard it repeatedly, there's a real danger in saying, I'll think about that later. I've often talked to people, they say, you know, there's some good points there, you know, but I'm not ready to believe. Or I've talked to people who said, you know, I want to pursue some other ways in life right now. I'm, I am not interested in the straight and narrow. I'm interested in some other, some other options here for now. So let's talk next year or something. You know, the danger with that is you don't know that you've got next year. I think it's Hebrews 4 or 7 or 17 in which we're enjoying today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I had a relative, most of you are aware of, that died just recently, about a week ago. And uh, thank God he knew what the process he was in was and he had great time with his family. His spiritual house was in order. He got to have final words with his children and his friends. It was really, death's hard, of course, at all times, in all ways. It's a this temporary significant goodbye, but he had time. And, and you know, that's a luxury not all of us know or will have. So, so another relative in that same family in the same week of that death, another relative had a major stroke and then died within the same week. Had no idea any of that was coming. None of us knows we're going to have time to linger and we're going to consider those things we said no thanks to earlier. We don't know that. We don't know. We don't know what a day will bring. So if you're someone who's heard the claims of the gospel and you just said, maybe that's for another day, uh, we're not sure how many days we have. We're not sure how much time we have. So if you hear God's voice today, don't harden your heart. And, and also, kids, uh, kids, if you're still living at your parents' homes, uh, this is to you briefly. We don't think about it, but every decision we make makes us. 
over the years, as we grow up in our parents' homes, we're choosing what kind of person we'll be in the future. You know, even a child is known by his doings, whether his works are right or true, something like that in Proverbs. Kids, as we make decisions growing up in our homes with our parents, we're deciding what kind of an adult we will be. And that future version of ourself is being stamped right now with all the minor decisions we make. And it is so important, even in our youth, not to say I'll save that for another time. I'll, I'll think about obeying in that area another time, respect or obedience or whatever it is. Because those decisions, little decisions every day, they make who we become. It's really hard to go back. I've got some verses on your study sheet there. I'm not going to take time to go through them. But Romans 1 is the same theology as 2 Thessalonians 2. You see the exact same digression away from truth. Paul uses terms there like suppressed the truth, refused to glorify God. Their thinking, their sense became nonsense. They were darkened. And it says at the end of this, At the end of this decline away from truth into spiritual moral darkness, away from truth, God says, I gave them up. I delivered them over. It's as if God says, you don't want the truth. These are the life patterns you're choosing. These are your priorities. You can have them. I give them to you. They're yours. He confirms them. It's the same thing. It's the same process. We really do live and breathe within the world that a loving God and Savior provided for us. But there's an end to that. And we've said before, there's a judgment to be avoided. And there's truth to be embraced, primarily in the gospel. But for most of us as Christians, there's truth to be embraced every day in the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart and the work of our hands and what we're doing or not doing. If we don't embrace the truth and act on it, we become dull to the truth. We lose the ability to discern. Leon Morris in his commentary on 2 Thessalonians says this, ultimately we must belong to one or other of two classes, namely those who welcome and love God's truth, and those who take their pleasure in wickedness. That's not a term we use. But if you're opposed to God, you're wicked. If we're opposed to God, we're wicked. Notice the way in which they become perverted. These people are not described as sinning through force of circumstance or any form of compulsion. They now find their pleasure in sin. They delight in wrong. For them, evil has become good. You know, one of the most remarkable stories for me in the Old Testament about this same dynamic, when you read the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angels go to the city and they tell Lot, God's going to destroy the city, and Lot yells out the door at his sons-in-law. They're apparently engaged to his daughters, but not yet married. And he tells them, guys, God's going to destroy the city. We've got to get out. And the sons-in-law, it says, he sounded as if he was joking. They have no ability, they have no perception of truth. And they're dead within the next day. But here's a guy warning them, you're ready to be destroyed. And they thought, it sounds like a funny joke. Sounds like Saturday Night Live. You've got to be kidding me. No ability to discern truth. 
because it had been rejected all along. Matthew 7, at the end of Matthew 7 is the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Let me leave you with this. Uh, Jesus told all this great truth, right? The law said this, but I say this. You know, you've heard this, but I say this. You know, it's a real call up. It's a jolt to us. I thought I was doing okay, but I hear Jesus' words, and it's like, man, you haven't even started, you know, towards righteousness. But at the end of Matthew 7, Jesus paints this picture of lives built, one on sand, one on the truth as we choose to perceive it, standing for nothing ultimately, and one built on a rock. And he says, the man who hears my words and does them, truth heard, embraced, and acted on. Jesus says, he's like the man who builds his house on a rock, and the rains fall, and the winds blow, and the waters rise, and the waves crash against that house, and guess what? It's fine. No problem. It stands. Whatever those vicissitudes of life, they're thrown at that house, it's okay because it's built on a rock. It has a foundation that cannot be moved. But Jesus says in contrast to that, the man who hears my words and does not act on them, truth is not embraced, there's no place found for it, standing for nothing. And he builds his house. And the same thing happens. The rains fall, the winds blow, the waters rise, the waves hit that house and what happens? It collapses, it's destroyed, and great is its destruction. And guys, that's the painting of a life in either direction. Truth embraced and acted on. Guys, you're, you're on a rock. We don't need to fear anything. We have peace and joy because lives are built on Christ, the ultimate truth, and His Word, the ultimate truth. And when we reject the truth in the way of the gospel... We're headed for destruction. There's no way out. There's no other option. And when we as Christians reject the truth God shows us, whether we hear a teaching, whether we're reading in our quiet times, whatever that is, when we hear that truth and we say, "Ah, maybe another day, Lord, not today, truth is rejected. Our ability to discern truth is dulled and calloused, and we'll have darkness in those areas of our life. We will not have the ability to hear God. We won't have a sensitive heart and a sensitive spirit, at least in those areas of our life. Those areas at least are built on sand, and something's going to fall apart. Something's going to fall down. So if you haven't trusted Christ today, it'd be a great day to do it, to say, Lord, I acknowledge the truth. I'm not what I should be. I acknowledge that. Jesus has fully paid for my sins in his death on the cross. I believe that, and I accept that. Lord, thank you for saving me. If you're a Christian already, let me just say this again. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. Reading, it's not enough, but read your Bible. Meditate on it. Turn it over in your mind. Saturate our minds with the truth of God's Word. When we do that, guys, we have the ability to discern error in ourselves and in others and what someone's trying to scam us about. Bill's teaching a week ago on... uh, Prosperity Gospels. I told Bill, it was right down the middle. It was a strike. And I'm watching Christian TV this week. It is ridiculous. It's heresy. The fundraising, the covenant promises, the fivefold returns, if you send me your money. Ludicrous. But you know what? Those guys are getting a lot of money. They're, they're raking in a bunch of money. And do you know why? 
because Christians are sometimes just stupid because we don't read our Bibles. We don't embrace the truth and act on it. You know, I'm thinking, give me a break. They're making money. People are actually sending it in. You know what? They're dull. They're calloused to the truth. And that's where we'll end up if we don't hear the truth, embrace it, and act on it. God help us. Father, you've gone to the trouble to send your son, your only son whom you love to earth, taking on our humanity. Lord, embracing our sins on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, covering, Lord, all our willful choices, all our sins, and then rising gloriously from the dead. And Lord, offering us eternal life simply by accepting it in Christ. God, would you help anyone here this morning who has not done that to do it today? And Lord, would you help us as your people not to be stupid, not to be callous, not to be ignorant or darkened? God, would you help us to love the truth in the person of Christ, Lord, and in your word, which you preserved so magnificently for us, Lord, words of sober truth that enable us to live a life built on the rock, something sure, a foundation that cannot be shaken. God, would you help us to glorify you by loving the truth, by embracing the truth, and by acting on the truth and sharing that truth with others around us. God, glorify Jesus in doing so. In his name, amen.